Well, happy Friday from all of us at Copacino Fujikata. Welcome to How I Fucked Up, a CF podcast series. If you've never heard about it before, what we do is we bring in some outside marketing leaders from the marketing and advertising industry to tell stories of failure and lessons learned along the way. Very excited to have an esteemed guest today, Todd Lombardo, who has done a little bit of everything, both agency and client side. He has worked at agencies such as Deutsch and The Many. He has worked at clients such as Yahoo. He is now, he now runs a management consultancy for ad agencies to make us all better people. So Todd, thank you for, this is our first guest that has, I'm going to say, flown in for the event, <laughs> flown in for the podcast. So Todd, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Oh, no, th- thank you for having me. Um, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, I just think this is such a, good idea for a podcast. What a great title. So what's your journey in this marketing yeah. agency world? Where, where did you start? How did you end up where you ended up now? I guess I'll start, I'll start at the beginning and try to keep it short. I, um, I was doing the math and realized I've worked in the ad business for over 25 years now, which was a little bit of a shock to me. I don't know how 25 years flew by, but I started in New York and um, also have worked in Los Angeles for years where I currently live. And I've worked at a number of agencies. So Low Lintus is an agency, Wonderman Thompson, Deutsche New York, Deutsche LA, Mistress, and the many. And during that time period, I have worked every vertical you can think of, automotive, pharmaceutical, finance, retail, beverage, et cetera. And my role has mostly been account management. I did an early jump into digital in the late 90s and then into social. So a lot of my experience has been a lot, uh, has been around that. And then um, also leadership positions for the last few years as well. So that's been that's been quite a wonderful journey working in the ad business and just being exposed to so many different client challenges over the years. And then what I also did is I, um, as you mentioned, I worked for multiple years client side at this tech company that used to be big called Yahoo. It is still around today, um, and I and I got to work there in Silicon Valley. And so I was doing that uh, for four years as well. And uh, Today, what I what I have is my management consultancy. Um, I launched that last year, and uh, we can talk more about that in a second. Awesome. So, what I love about having someone of your stature on is that you have inevitably fucked up a lot, uh, <laughs> just because of the many roles that you've had. Yeah. So, really excited to get into that. But first, I, I'd like to know about you know what was your did you have an aha moment when you pivoted from the agency world to do this consultancy? Uh, yeah situation. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the, the way it sort of came about was really organically. I wouldn't say I've had a master plan for much of my career, which could be a plus or could be a minus. I have no idea. When I was working at Yahoo years ago, at one point, they had brought in, I think, Boston Consulting Group or one of those types of management consultancy firms to help them with how should we organize ourselves? How should we do this? How should we do that? And um, I always thought that was such a compelling opportunity for large companies to be able to bring in another company with expertise from the outside and say, hey, this is what we see. You have to make your own decisions, but this is what we see. And so I was thinking a lot about that. Um, I had left my previous role and I, I was just consulting a little bit. And what ended up happening was this insight of like, well, hold on a second. If these large companies, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble can hire a management consultancy to help them. I've been in the agency space for 25 years. I was like, well, who do the agencies turn to when they need help? 
because running an agency is hard. Working in an agency is hard. Client service is hard. And so then I started doing a little digging. I'm like, I wonder if this is like even a thing, you know? I, I found out there was 88,000 agencies in the United States. Last year, 2,400 new ones opened. I was like, this is a lot of agencies. And then I was thinking about, okay, so there's all these agencies. I have all this experience. I wonder if there's a chance to sort of help them. And so what ended up happening was um, I ended up getting a consulting gig and that just all sort of happened organically. And in, in that consulting gig, I started advising on staffing plans and how should you grow and all these things. And I started realizing, oh, maybe this, maybe I could cobble this together into a business, you know? And again, no master plan. So I just asked a lot of friends' opinions and esteemed colleagues. What do you think if I did this kind of thing? And then I sort of packaged it up and put it out in the world. And I, I only launched, I think, in March as a company. Um, but I've been doing this sort of sort of a year now. And what I found is just by doing that, I've had four clients and in, in this first period of time. And the the major focus areas have been around growth. So how do we handle this pitch? How should we position ourselves? What should our new business strategy be? Um, a lot of times it's a lot around you know client service. Uh, something's something's off with how we're servicing clients is, or or how how should we up level service or how do we how do we engage in in a, in a different way? So that was the third one. The second one. The third area is often around like leadership and management. So such as how should we do a staffing plan or what types of skills do we need that maybe we don't have or that we need more of or less of or should we reorganize how we're servicing clients? Um, so that was the third one. The fourth one, often because my background is in digital, a lot of a lot of times it'll be around. We need help on social. We need help on digital. How how should we service this? How should we extend our social strategies or or advance them? Um, so that's the fourth area. And then the fifth area is often I'm just like an armchair therapist. A lot of times people just need someone to talk to. And what I like about what I've been doing is that because I have the ad experience, I can come in and talk about it with real world experience. I think the thing that going looping back to the concept of hiring a management consultancy, an agency, independent creative shop can't hire a big consulting firm. First of all, the money wouldn't make sense. But second of all, those firms don't know what it's like to work in an agency. Right. Agencies are very unique beasts. And I think only folks who've worked in that business can look at you and say, I get it. And so um, that has been what I've been doing for the past, you know, sort of nine months or so. And it's been it's been a lot of fun. And, and, you know, as I go into these agencies, I often say, like, my pitch is, let me help you get to where you want to be. And usually, you know, at the very high level, it's just like, there are three questions we think we should try to answer eventually, which is, why do you exist? Who are you for? And what are you great at? If you can answer those three questions, you generally can, can sort of have a roadmap towards, you know, sort of where you want to go. And on the other side of it, sometimes I'm just a bandwidth extender. Sometimes it'll just be like really busy and I'll, I'll be like, well, let me come in and help you. Let me come in and help you organize how to service a client and or, you know, how to get, get some work out the door. It's a really fascinating space. I think when you think about, to your point, the type of people that start ad agencies, yeah. especially like over the years, you know, you hear about shops that are just two creatives started an agency. They don't know anything about business. They don't know anything about management. Yeah. So I think it's a really interesting and, and obviously useful space for somebody like you that well, uh, can come in and, and help. Yeah, it's, it's um, as agency people, we're so busy servicing clients and trying to get work out the door and doing all the things that you have to do on a daily basis that often you don't have time to think about yourself 
And where do you want to go? And what do you want to be? So sometimes just bring in an outside perspective to say, hold on, I'm not in the weeds. So here's what I see. I also don't bring sort of maybe historical baggage or historical perspective totally. to, a, to a culture or to a company. And so I can come in and say, here's what I'm seeing. And so it's just been really, really fun to do it. And you know, I think for me, the insight was I sort of figured out my superpower over the past few years. And I think everyone should try to figure out their superpower in life. My superpower is about raising the bar. It's just, I want things to be great. And so I can come in and say, all right, here's where I think we could sort of improve things and I will help you do it. And so what I try to do often is mix theory and practice. So I will come in and I might say, here's where I think theoretically it should be. Here's a deck. But then I'll often say, why don't I stay here and help you help you do this? And so that's been what it is. And, and truthfully, again, I've had no master plan. I wrote a business plan, but this was never on my radar to do this. And it's been a lot of fun and it's been a great learning experience. And my last thing I'll say is my hypothesis is that companies become are a factor of what clients need. And so I cast the net very wide to say, this is the things I think I can do, but this will ultimately be defined by what clients want. And so I might narrow it down and just be like, oh, everyone just wants new business help or everyone just needs client service help or whatever it is. So that's that's where it is right now. I think it's so interesting that, and that's such a truth that agencies asking what they stand for and we're like, wait yeah. a minute, what do we stand for? Because yeah. you're so busy servicing clients. It's like, the, that's why your agency website's the last thing to get <laughs> updated because it's an extra job is you're too busy creating yeah. brands. Yeah. You there's know? always a status report where there's like the website update and it's always delayed and it's just like, oh my goodness. Totally. So uh, you said, and you said you started about a year ago. So do you think there's a special place coming out of the pandemic where companies, agencies especially are, are, are trying to find their way again? I mean, I know every agency's like, Two days, three days a week, culture, how do you keep it together? And can you talk about that a little bit? It feels yeah. like that's kind of the sweet spot timing-wise for, yeah. for agencies like redefining or or defining um where they where they want to go and who they want to yeah. be, right? Some of the challenges I think are universal, like all time. Um, and some of the challenges I think are new, sort of coming out of the pandemic. The challenges I see are always the need for speed, the need to just move more quickly than what we've traditionally been used to. So, you know, I came of age in the late 90s and, you know, we would spend, you know, two or three months on a TV script, you know, getting that right and then going to a production or whatever the case may be. And now you've got clients who are like, I need TikToks up next week and I need real-time response. And I have a social background and digital background. So I got into that space and saw it sort of happen. And it's like, even today, I think that the, the need to move quickly and get out into the world is a need that is sort of been universal. One of the things that I sort of see now is there is there is this generational sort of shift happening or change happening that no one really fully understands. And part of it is manifesting in the whole work from home, will they, won't they kind of vibe. How many days a week are we in the office? How many days are we not, do we even need an office? Uh, we have a legacy office. These downtowns want us to come into the office and there is so much value for coming into an office. There's also there's folks who are like, you know, I'm I'm getting my work done at home and my life is better and because of it and I want to do that. And so there's this cognitive dissonance happening around this topic. And I think everyone's navigating it based on the individual cultures of their companies. What I have found personally is that my whole thing has always been if you hire the, the greatest people you can find and just give them fewer rules, 
then hopefully you can achieve what you need to do. There's this book um, called The No Rules Rules by um, Reed Hastings, who Netflix guy. And it really resonated for me. I read it during the pandemic. And what it, what it really said was, if you can find great people, don't give them a billion rules, but see if you can build the thing and just trust that everyone's going to do the right thing for the company. And if you can get 95% of the people to do the right thing, that's a really great place. And you don't have to define a million rules. But I think we're still all figuring it out. Truthfully, I can't tell you for sure that the, the new model is going to be two days a week or three days a week. I think some industries are going to be five days a week and some are going to be fully remote. There's new agencies who are forming, um, some of whom I work with who don't even really have an office and they're saving, you know, saving their margin, saving their financials because they don't have to pay for an office. But then, it, but then how do we get together? How do we bond in person? There are times where you might need a whiteboard session and that's hard to do over Zoom. So for me, it's, there's no hard, a uh, good answer, but it's, it's a, a tricky one that I think is bespoke to each company. Yeah. And I think that's the really fascinating thing about this business is yeah. it's not, it's never going to be an accounting firm. Like everyone <laughs> does their work differently, but it is, yeah. it, there's a lot of art to it. So there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot yeah. of, well, who the hell knows? Like yeah. there's not, rules so companies can establish rules but yeah. it's like if you're getting your work done if the work is great you know it's it's very nebulous yeah. so it's it's like yeah how many rules should be in place how much yeah. you know and how much is too much how, how little is too little and yeah, yeah we we deal with that all the time as yeah every agency does right? yeah i think especially yeah and i think that i don't know i, I think we're in the middle of the journey i think this journey is not over there, there was an article in the New York Times about the, one of the strikes, the, the United Auto Workers strike. And in their demands, they're demanding a four-day work week. And I read that, and to me, my jaw dropped. And we could debate whether a four-day work week is a good idea or a bad idea, and there's pluses and minuses to each side of that. But what I found is, wow, we've come to a place where that has become a demand in the United States. And five years ago, I would have never believed that would have been even a demand. I don't think it's going to necessarily happen right now. Um, but I was surprised that this whole post-pandemic work from home, we're not, we're only in the middle of this journey into what is work becoming and how do we create a world that makes sense for businesses so we can do the client jobs we need, but also makes sense for individuals. And it's that push and pull that is helping us find the, the right balance. So Todd, are you ready to talk about some, some fuck ups with us? Yes. So. As I was thinking about this, I ended up starting to write them down and I quickly came up with more than 35, which is why I have notes in front of me because I couldn't remember them all. There I see some, some that are starred. So I'm like, are those were, the best fuck-ups? Those are the megas. So those are the mega fuck-ups we'll go to. No, but I, I don't know how many we'll have time to go through. But anyway, so my first thought was, I was trying to find, well, what is a fuck-up? And I started like, my mind started like mind-melding around what is a fuck-up? Because later in life, a fuck-up can become a lesson, which is the second half of this this whole podcast. Of course. And so um, that was the first piece. And the second piece is, because I've been working for like, you know, a long time, I realized that some of my fuck-ups were like early in my career as I was just like an individual contributor, like when I started managing people and some of them were as a leader. And so I was like, all right, I'll just try to organize them into those three buckets and maybe we'll go through some of some of each. So whoever's listening, maybe it'll be useful. Love that. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> the first one is from many, many years ago when I was um, in New York and I, you know, there's just something being produced for a website and it was just like falling apart. Like it just, copy wasn't getting there. It, it was just, client was yelling at me. I was like the account supervisor or whatever. And I sent a really angry email to the team. All caps? 
Not not all caps, but it did have strongly worded. It had a strongly worded. It did use one swear word. This is pre Slack, y'all. So this is an email. You still couldn't undo it. You couldn't edit it. And uh, nothing happened from it other than I still remember it two decades later. I was so ended up being so mad at myself later when I wasn't mad that I'd sent that and let my emotions sort of take over. And so um, there was no ramifications from that other than I had the next day I went around and I apologized. I said, listen, I'm sorry, my emotions got the better of me. I'm frustrated with this and let's figure out how we can fix it. And so in my career, I've probably seen a billion problems. I'd say 99.9% of them have been constructive, sort of let's figure it out. But there's that 0.1% where you just like, you just lose your cool. And so, so to me, that was a fuck up because that's not how I want to show up. And so I was really mad at myself. And so flipping it into the lesson is don't send the angry email. Don't send the angry text or write it and don't send it. Write it and wait a day because um, I can guarantee you'll come back the next day and not, not want to send it. But the flip side, the other thing I learned is like, we all have to show up as our full, full human selves at work. And you're all a ball of emotions. We all have joy. We all have anger. We have sadness. We have all, we have anxiety. We have all the things. And so let's accept all of us as hu- humans, but we all got to work together in, in a good way and, and in a constructive way. And, and anger emails, not the way to get that done. I think it's interesting because especially now, decades later, the fact that you remember it, number one, <laughs> yeah. but number two, over the last few years, like that's been our unless you're jumping on a zoom or teams, that's the way, whether it's, right. it's, it's all tone. It's like, yeah. what did he mean by that? What did he mean? Yeah. And so I think, and if I would have got that email, I would have been up all night. Like, what is, what does this mean? What does you this know? mean? So I think yeah. like, you know, jumping on it the next day, like back, yeah. back in the day was probably the thing to do. Now yeah. it's like, okay, we got to, let's do a call right now and talk yeah. about it and yeah. clear there. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you edit the Slack <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you, you know, and uh, so yeah, that's, that's the thing that all of us, all of us, we all have those days where it's like, oh man, nothing's working today. And it's just really hard. And, and, uh, but just trying to be constructive and trying to stay focused on that is probably the lesson I learned from that. And you're right. I cannot believe it still sticks with me, but I remember the, ex- I remember what it was about. I remember what I wrote. I remember the moment is all things. And the thing is, is the moment you click send, you regret it. It's the, it, it's not fulfilling. Yep. So yeah, that, that's an early, that's an early stage. Fuck up. Do you want another one? What else? What else you got? <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> okay. So another one that I had, this is in my very first gig. So I was at Low, which is now Low Lintus in New York. I was on Mercedes. And to make a long story sort of short, Mercedes was merging with Chrysler. And so they were becoming one company in the late 90s. And so Chrysler was all WP agencies and Mercedes was all IPG agencies. And I was at an IPG agency. And so they were like, we're going to move it all to WPP. I was like, oh my God, Mercedes is going to leave. I'm going to be out of a job. And so what I did is I jumped to another, I left. I was like an account executive and I left to take a job somewhere else because I didn't want to get laid off. I I was like, oh, I can't have that happen to me. So I'm going to just run away from this situation. It's the classic move you make when you're young, you know, which is you're running away from something where you're not sure what you're running towards. And um, I look back at that now and the role I went to, I didn't really love. And I bounced again in about a year to a role I ended up loving. But I look back now and the folks who I worked with on Mercedes in the late 90s, some of them still work on that account today. So that whole fear thing of, oh my God, we're all going to get laid off. Like, I, I think they just moved to the new agency with the brand, right? So so um, I had constructed a whole narrative in my head and took an action from that, which, you know, I'm glad I did because it 
got me to where I am now. But I don't know if I needed to. Like looking back, I'd be like, just hold on a second. Do you really need to run? Or are you running from something that you're afraid of because you don't want to get laid off and you're scared of what that could mean? So just jump now. So that was, I guess, yeah, at the time, I, I still questioned, like, was it the right decision? Yeah. Well, and obviously you didn't last long at the next place. What, you said a year? A year. The next yeah. place? Yeah. It's so interesting because there is always, I think in advertising, there's a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear that sort of pervades <laughs> your daily life to yeah. a lot of degrees. And yeah. I think depending on the job you do, it's different. It's creative. It's like, yeah. oh, are they going to like this? You know, what are they going to do? You know, or is an account going to leave? And especially if you're in a big agency where you've got a Mercedes that's 30, 40% of your business, that really affects a lot. The tough thing is, I think early on in your career, if you don't know, if you haven't been enough places, yeah. you don't know you're never going to be fully stable. Like no one is in any job, right? Like, in any in any industry, and, we might add, right? In any industry. Yeah. And you never want to get too comfortable. Yeah. But it's like, how would you have known without going some other places or being in your career longer? You know, it's like, it's one right. of those things where hindsight's always twenty twenty, of course. Always. But like, the lesson yeah. is try not to panic. Try, you know? try not to panic. <laughs> I think that's a really good life lesson and we should make a bumper sticker that says, says that. And with that, we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Euro's Place in the Century Square building. Nowadays, you just never know what you're going to get for lunch. It's really expensive. You don't get the portions you want. So we at CF, we're big fans of Euro's Place. It's inside the Century Square building, 4th and Pike, right across from the CF office. We'll see you there. Chris Copacino has a favorite epic chicken salad. There's also Euro plates, burgers. They've got a pretty extensive menu, and the portion sizes are always huge. Most important, they're an independent downtown Seattle business, and their owner, Layla, and her team are really passionate about bringing you the freshness daily. So check out Euro's Place downtown. And now, back to fucking up. I really don't want to blame you for that last fuck up, because it's kind of like, how the hell could you have known? Well, that... that, That gets to another fuck up or oh, just excellent. It's a more generalized um, sort of thing, which was, I think that I guess it's a fuck up because I ended up torturing myself for years, which was, I was so hard on myself when I was younger, even into where I'm at now. I'm always really hard on myself, but I was very hard on myself about like, you don't know how to do this or you don't know how to do that. And I remember the first time, like I, got someone reporting into me. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be the best manager ever. And I was a terrible manager. And I was so mean and cruel to myself and just how much I sucked and all these things. And and what I realized is, well, how could I know how to manage somebody? I mean, I've been to some classes about management, but I've never managed anybody. How on earth could I know how to do this? It took me, I'd say it took me a good decade of practice before I could say like, okay, I'm pretty good at managing folks and leading folks and being a good boss and mentor to people. But I wasn't for a long time. And looking back, the fuck up was I tortured myself far too much for things that I should have just been kinder about. So I've been like, hey, this is a learning process. You've never done this before. Why don't you just give yourself a little bit of a break? And I would say that um, giving giving yourself a break is um, a thing that I probably still struggle with i'm being too mean to myself when you say kinder you mean kinder to yourself kinder to myself yeah i should have been kinder to myself and said hey this is a journey you're learning as you go we're all learning as we go i mean the very definition of jumping to a new role or or getting promoted is to do something that you haven't done before because if you kept doing the same thing you get bored right and so by definition career advancement is doing things again and again 
that you haven't done before. And so what I've learned over the years is um, I had a, oh, a friend of mine in one of my previous gigs used to always say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I remember stretches of career where I'd be uncomfortable for like two years at a time. But I also knew, <laughs> I also knew I was learning and growing in those moments. And so I always have said, am I uncomfortable right now? And if I am, something's something good is happening. Yeah. And I think that to me is a synonym in a way to the the healthy fear kind of sort. Yeah. It's a little different, but there's there's shades of that in there too. And yeah. I, you know, as a creative, that lens for me is a little different, but I but I totally get it in the managing thing too. It's like anytime a creative goes from being a doer to a to a leader, it's like I didn't really sign up to get in this business to go to meetings to talk to to mentor people yeah. to all that. But you know, you some people I think are naturally better at it than others. Yeah. And if you're not, then you got to work at it a little more. And I don't know. I've yeah. found it to be incredibly rewarding in ways that I never. Oh yeah, I I would. Oh yeah, it's like, it's like if your job is to manage spreadsheets, for example. Say you're an accountant and you work in spreadsheets a lot, and you do a really good job. And then they say, okay, we're going to give you a team of people managing spreadsheets. And you're like, okay, so now my job is no longer managing spreadsheets and creating spreadsheets. It's managing folks who are doing the spreadsheets. If you think about it on the face of it, it's an entirely different job. Right. The only thing that's the same is the subject of what you have to do. And the tricky thing is how to, how do you lead and inspire a team without jumping in to do it? Right. Because the first inclination is, okay, my safe space is I know how to do this. But what you're actually, your job is actually to now elevate other folks and give them a path and inspire them and help them grow. To your point, one of the most rewarding things is creating opportunities for other people. So if you can help them grow and help them learn and advance and, and get better in their, in their careers, like that to me is really fulfilling as a leader. How do you be kinder to yourself? If you know the answer to that, <laughs> we could do a whole for a friend. <laughs> different podcast about that. No, it is it is a daily battle. And I see it in all my friends. I see it in my family. We are just, we are in our heads. You know, they say a lot of, a lot of the, you know, Buddhist teachings or, or all the teachings that you read, a lot, a lot of suffering is only because it's in here. That's where it is. Yeah. And I think in advertising where it's a service business. Yeah. And you're sort of never really off-ish no, a lot of the time right, right. if you're serving clients or if you're delivering yeah. creative or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. I tell people when they ask, because I, I haven't figured this out at all. I'm, I'm very mean to myself too. Yeah. Uh, and always have been. But having outside pursuits where you can realize there's just having a perspective, yeah. doing other things, yeah. having other hobbies, having yeah. other interests. It's I like totally it the, the, the quote from The Wire was, the job will not save you. And uh, I think it's, you know, for me, having kids is a huge outlet. It's like it forces me to be like, okay, I got to go do this for a bit and yeah. get out of my own head. Get out of my own head. And then when you come back and you can be more objective, you feel better. Totally. Yeah. Right, I think I, we solved it. We solved it. We're done. Okay. Yeah. Um, should I keep going? Yeah. I keep going. Fuck, okay. up, fuck up numero, uh, tracer quattro. Whatever we have here. Yeah. Um, and so what, I, okay. So what space of fuck up are we in in your career right now? Okay. So we're going to move into manager. Like when I started managing people. Love it. Um, so what happened at this, like I was an account supervisor, account director at the stage, still in the digital social space. And what I ended up realizing is that. This has now become less about executing a function, like for me, account management or social, social or digital or whatever, for creative or creative or copywriter writing, whatever it is. And this has become about managing people. And then I ran into a problem, which was, shit, I am not my full self at work. I am two different people. So I'm like, in my personal life, I'm this like 
at the time. I lived in New York. I'm LGBT and was out and about in the town with my friends or whatever the case may be. And I realized I was like living as two separate humans in some ways. And what happens when that is the case is you can't really bond with other people when you're not being your true... The word today is authentic, which is an overused phrase. But what I found is I was being two selves and I really wanted to merge them into being a fully formed human that was the same person at work and and in personal life. So that was something I started to realize around the time I started managing people. It was like, oh, I have to be a full human to bond with everyone and to connect. And I, I need to inspire them to do the same. So show up as a, as a human. Don't show up as, a, as, as just a worker. And I find that that, has been a, that was a multi-year journey where I finally felt comfortable sort of being myself in a work environment that was the same as in a personal environment. And yeah, so that was, that was a big one. And was that something that you changed that perspective for yourself before you got, like before you were in the management role, were you less concerned about that? I was always aware of it. Yeah. I was okay. always like mad at myself. Like, why, why can't I be my normal Todd in this work setting? Why am I like this like thing, this other like thing? It's like this professional thing. Cause that's what I thought it had to be. And of course you have to be professional, but it took me a long time to really be like, oh, I can just be me. Of course, you have to get a job done and like show up for clients and be your best self, you know, in all instances. But that I found to be a multi-year journey of merge your personal professional selves into just one fully realized human and be yourself. And that's once, how you bond. With yeah, other people. I was going to say, then once you got to that point, I'm sure the relationships were better with oh yeah, more trust, more bonding. Yeah. And that took a decade as well. Yeah. 10, easily 10 years for me to get to that place where I was like, okay, I feel like I can be myself in front of, front of this room. Yeah. Which is interesting because the added, the ad agency world, if any, is a place that is, seems to be safer for that yeah. to occur than others. But I've never worked yeah. in another industry, so I don't know. You don't but. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a, that was one that was less of a, like a, of a fuck up, more like an ongoing, like just problem that I had to, had to resolve. And then the next one on my list of ongoing <laughs> fuck-ups is related in that because I did that and I was very like, I'm just going to work and do this thing, I was very much a worker bee. And what I didn't do is cultivate the connections to other people at the level that looking back, I wish I had done more of that. Because I was just like, we got the job done. We got to get the work done. Like I was just like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Because that's what I thought the job was just get the work out the door. And it is. But what I also found was like, I wish I'd spent more time cultivating connections that just focused on the work. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I have to work. And it's like, no, no, hold on. Let's let's go get that coffee. Let's talk about it. And that was earlier in my career. Later in my career, I sort of shifted and realized and sort of figured that out. And I was talking to a friend a couple months back and, and uh, they were talking about whether they loved their job or not or and i said you know one of the things you could think about is like you don't love the work as much but you love the people and he's like i love the people it's like well, why don't you try connecting with them and just start seeing all the people you can meet and get to know and feel connected to in this role that you're in until you decide if you want to leave and so that's that's advice i wish i'd gotten as a younger person which is spend time cultivating the connections and helping other people as much as doing the functional work itself it's not just about getting that thing out the door that is very important, but also connecting to others as well. And I think that's that point is something that's more salient than ever now as agencies mm -hmm. cut costs, get smaller, clients cut budgets. Yeah. You, it's 
you have so much less time to do that. So you really have to make a conscious effort to do that. Otherwise, yeah. you're just going to be making the thing all the time. And yeah. I, I think that's kind of a function of COVID too, where it's like you were working longer because it's like, well, I'm just going to sit at my desk and now I'm going to start at 7.30 and now I'm going to never log yeah. off because yeah. there's still work to be done. You yeah. know, So I think it's what I've noticed is it has to be much more deliberate yeah. to do something to say hit pause and like, hey, we're actually going to go get lunch yeah. like for 30 whole minutes, you know, <laughs> and I'm so bad at that still. Yeah. But I think that it's it's more important than ever because to your point, it's like if you don't form those bonds with with your people, yeah, you know, it's 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 going to be lesser than an experience for everybody. Yeah, and what happens is if you if you can connect to other humans as a human, you also create a culture of trust, and a culture of trust is such an important thing both for you to be able to trust folks like, oh yeah, this team's got it. I trust them. I don't have to do the micromanaging thing, but also for the teams to trust their leaders, which is to say, I know this person, I feel that they've got my back and that I can come to them with any problem and it will be a safe space. Yep. It, that culture, that, that culture is not even the right word, but that feeling of trust, like to me, you you really need that in order for people to feel like they belong as part of this crew that you've got to get put together and that you can get the work done and that when problems come up, you can resolve them because as you become a leader, most days are people days. It's less about the workflow and more about like, okay, what challenges am I facing? Oh, this person needs help with this. There's a conflict over here. This person's out sick. Um, we have a new hire here. Not sure our process. It's always people related. Ends up being what a lot of your day is anyway. So you've got to have that bond with everyone so that you can work together. Well, that's not only that, it's good business practice too. Because it's like, I remember in my career, yeah. if I was stewing over something that I didn't want to bring up, yeah. you know, I would be really not productive for a day or two days, however long. So it's like the more trust you have to just bring it up early and get past it. Yeah. Then you can actually get back to yeah. what you're doing, right? I'm always like, just tell me the thing. <laughs> exactly. Just tell I can t just tell me the thing. You can say it. it's a safe space and then we will deal with it. But just tell me the thing. Tell me the thing. Yeah. So I'm gonna fold these questions into into one question, you know. Okay. Is there is there something you would tell your younger self about making mistakes, fuck ups, you know, how you would handle it or what's, what's the right way to respond. And and maybe we just covered it, but yeah. any, any like sing, singular pieces of advice when it comes to just fucking up? Yeah. So <laughs> the thing, the thing about making a mistake or a fuck up is like later it's a lesson. And so my whole thing is own the mistake and next time make a different mistake. Like, let's just make new mistakes the next time. Cause that's, well, that's more fun. Uncharted territory. All right, let's let's do something new and different. Don't repeat the same mistake a million times. What I wanted to um, I wanted to bridge that to just an idea in the most sort of as I became more of a leader. One of the things I realized is that things that get things that might feel fucked up or messed up. Sometimes you can control them, and sometimes you can't. A lot of things happen in in the world, in your life, and business that really you don't have a lot of control over. And so one of the things I've really learned is this, this concept of, and I, I don't know whether it came from my head or I read it in an article, but it really has stuck with me for years, which is the idea of responsibility versus authority, which is when you are in a situation, try and diagnose, what am I responsible for? What do I have authority for? And are those the same thing? If those aren't both the same thing, you got a problem. If you're responsible for something, but don't have the authority to do anything about it, you're you're going to be in trouble there because you can't actually change it. 
if you have the authority on something, but you're not actually responsible for it, you can't actually do it either. You need both or neither. And so one of the things I've learned as I've gotten further along in my career is, okay, I can take this on. Do I have the authority to make the changes that are needed? And trying to get that clarity doesn't always work, but that's one of the things I've observed in my long list of fuck-ups, which is, okay, in this situation, am I responsible for it? Do I have the authority to, to do it? So those... That, that to me was has been a long-standing thing that I've sort of taken away from it. I think that's I, I've never heard it put that eloquently before, but I I feel that like I swear it's got to be an article. There is no way that I came up with that myself, Bob, but it is Bob like Mardo, responsibility versus authority. <laughs> it, it is baked into my it. brain. Yeah, but I think that's really important because when you get that stern client email, you have to think that way, or else otherwise, if it's something that you can't directly affect, yeah. necessarily then you're just going to take that burden with you alone. Yeah. And, you know, advertising, is, it's it's never about the one person. It's always a team effort, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think that taking that to to putting that in your mind is a good way to, to yeah. help balance just your your daily existence in, yeah. the, in the ad world. Yeah. So speaking of stern client emails, I'd love to hear a bit about a really tough account you worked on at some point. You don't have to name, you know, you don't have to name the client, but how'd you handle it? How did you rally your team around around things that weren't necessarily all roses all the time? It's a great question. I'm not going to mention an account by name, but I will have a name in my head that I won't repeat. I think every account is difficult in its own way. One of the things about clients and the business you're in of servicing clients is no matter what the budget is, what the timeline is, if they pay you a lot, if they pay you a little, they're the most important client to themselves. They are. And they all need to be treated as such. Every client is an important client. And so an overarching point around that is treat every client as if they're the most important one. Specifically related to the question around like, I think it was something around like managing a tough client or how do you rally the team? The client I'm thinking of specifically a few years back we we won the business, which is always a wonderful thing. And then the second thought in your head is, oh my God, now we have to do the work. And which is always the first fear as soon as you win new business. And Yay. yeah, oh, no. oh my God, <laughs> what have we done? And so, so and so what what ended up happening in this specific instance was it was a it was a pretty big, pretty big win. And we didn't have the staff to to do it all. And so the skeleton crew that was there had to do an amount of work that was almost unfathomable. And so the way that we did it is we, oh man, it was, I can't even say it was perfect, you know, but how we handled it is a couple of things. One, I had a real heart to heart with the client in the beginning. I said, listen, you've hired us because you love our strategic and creative thinking, but we're, we're smaller than you by a lot. And so you need to give us a little bit of grace in terms of how we're going to sequence projects. So let's talk about that. So part of it was as a client service account person, I had to have that sort of real talk with, with the client. And then the second thing is I became part of the team and other leaders just became part of the team until we could ramp up hiring. One of the greatest challenges about growth in an agency is that the hiring talent identification process is always three times as long as being awarded the business process because you awarded the business and they're like, all right, let's go Monday. And you're like, wait, I need four months to find 10 people. And so what we tried to do in advance is cultivate 
talent ahead of time that we had like had meetings with already scheduled. So they were sort of ready to go. So then we could pull the trigger on some talent and teams coming in. And so we made a commitment saying we are going to hire X number of people. And we had a meeting about it. And we said, the help is coming. The last piece of it was in this instance is we we set aside a freelance budget immediately, even though the client hadn't paid us yet or anything, we just sort of invested ahead and said, we're going to we're going to bring on eight freelancers or whatever the number is just to help in the beginning, um, just to take some of the workload. And so that sort of talking to the client, getting your talent, jumping in as a leader and hiring freelance was the way that we tried to do it. Can't say it was perfect. Can't say it worked every time. Really tense. But they got there and um, the client ended up going on for years. So um, that was the first one that came to mind with that question. Sounds stressful. It, it, it was stressful. Yeah. I love, I love all that. What have you learned as it relates to working with, with us creatives or with just other departments in general? That is a great, that is a great question. So I think for me, the, the thing that I've learned is, and again, I learned this by fucking up when I was younger is like, it is more about creating the safe space for creativity to flourish while at the same time pushing the things that need to be pushed. And so the way that the way that I used to do it is I would never, I would try to never show up as like the sole leader on a piece of business. I always tried to be like, here's my strategic counterpart, here's my creative counterpart. And we are a team here to help get this business going. And so if the creative lead and the strategic lead and me as sort of the account person lead were all there together, it wasn't me as the account person being like, hey, y'all need to do this fast. I'd gotten the creative involved already, the creative lead involved already. So it was coming from him or her as well. And same for strategy stuff. And so what I loved about that is that as creative leaders, they had already had the chance with me to say, these are the 10 things that I need to happen in order to like share this responsibility and authority um, with you. And I was like, great. So let's, ha- let's get those things in place and have that conversation first. So you feel empowered. And so I always found that by being a united front, we all own this business together versus like, I don't know, when I first started, it always seemed like the the lead account person owned the thing solely. But I was always trying to build like a team of of account and strategy and creative. And then if media was involved, the media lead, you know, so each of the functional leaders were were a team sort of united front working together to inspire all their teams. And I always felt, felt like if you as a creative, say you're a copywriter, but you see your creative lead co-running the team, you felt good about that because you felt like your voice was represented in those meetings that you weren't a part of. So that's how I've sort of done it. And it's worked sometimes and sometimes it doesn't, but that's how I've tried to do it in my path. Yeah, it's like getting people invested, getting everyone invested and excited early, right? It's, It's interesting because... 20 years ago when I started, it was, it was much more adversarial. I was like, well, we're the yeah. creators. We're going to take care of our thing. You guys just sell yeah. shit. You know, I, I just want to make something cool. That, that dynamic exists in some folks and I yeah. think always will. And, and that is a tough dynamic to sort of navigate. And uh, the other thing someone said to me, which is also, I'm sure, stolen from somewhere else is, is do you want folks to build a boat or do you want folks to sail on a journey? And it's like both of those require the building of the boat. But if you can talk about the framing as where's the North Star where we need to go with this client, the exciting thing, like we want to make this client famous or we want to make this client number one, or we want to help this client change the world. If you anchor into that, 
and can inspire folks to, this is what we need to do and what we want to do. The building the boat is the functional thing to get you to that thing versus saying, hey, y'all, we need to get the wood to build the boat. Yeah. So that's sort of how I think about it. And I would even say for the one big aha moment for me in the past yeah. eight years at Copacino Fujikato, bringing the client along in that part of the journey yeah. too. It's it it makes a huge difference, and everyone's bought in. Everyone's going sailing uh, yeah. towards the right place, and the work's better as a yeah. result. I agree with all that. The other thought to, that I add to that is when I started in my career, it was much more formal. You know, we wore suits and ties to the office every day, and you worked on a thing until you revealed it to the client. Yeah, and it was like everything was like a Broadway show production, and now. Everything to me is more like, just come for the run through, come, right. come for the tissue session, come to the dress rehearsal. Like, let me just tell you this idea sketched on paper. And I'm personally still uncomfortable doing that. Like, I'm still not totally okay because my origin story was that much more formal. So I've tried to break that over the years. Right. But to your point, getting a client involved early makes a difference because I don't think they care if it's perfect as long as they're seeing progress. Right. So I think that's great. And they're, and they get heard and, and, heard. and, you know, they, they know so much more about their business than you do. So, you know, you can wait that long and be like, ta-da, don't you love it? I know. I, oh, I say this guys often. I say, you know more about your business than we do. So we're going to need you to lead on some of these things. Yeah. So okay. Todd, thank you so much. Oh, thank this you. Been wonderful. And then what is the name of your, uh, what is the name of your company again? Super S-U-P-R. Super. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of How I Fucked Up, Copacino Fujikato podcast series. We'll talk to you all again soon.